Sean is going to come up. He's going to deliver the message, so I'm going to keep my bit quick. Uh, Three things that the church has prioritized since 1993 for 30 years. We've been about these. Did I say three? I meant four. Four things that we've been about. Number one, changed lives. We've seen people encounter Jesus in their lives. My life has changed because of this church as we focused on Jesus. After this gathering, like Taylor said, we'll celebrate three baptisms, changed lives is what we've been about. And then healthy and strong families. That's what Sean's going to come up and share about today. We're going to talk about how to build these healthy and strong families, vibrant community groups. We just prayed for one. Next week, we'll have another one that'll multiply. And then last, but certainly not least, missional living, both locally and globally. We do that by partnering with our local ministry partners, but we also do that as we ourselves are the hands of feet outside of the walls of this church. That's next week. We are gonna celebrate Mission Sunday. The only day that we pass the buckets, we uh, have an offering, every dollar goes outside of the walls of this church. On your way out, I encourage you to look up and see the flags back there. They, they represent all of our local, I'm sorry, all of our global ministry partners. And uh, next week, the other thing that we're going to do is uh, we're going to be able to partner with them in prayer. So for our global and local ministry partners, we financially support them. We help them with their mission. We also have these relationships with them. So we know them. They're people. They're not just organizations that we support. And then the third is that we intercede. We cover them in prayer. So Rhonda, our prayer pastor, has put together this prayer guide. And I encourage you, if you haven't already done that, if you want to participate in 24 hours of prayer for our local and our global ministry partners. You can do that on the guide. Uh, Register for a time and you can maybe thinking, I can't pray for 30 minutes. Don't worry. Rhonda has done such an amazing job putting this prayer guide together. It will take you 30 minutes to read through all of our ministry partners. Thank God for what he's done. Pray for what's to come and I guarantee you, you will be blessed as you see uh, the small part that we get to play in uh, God's story through our local and our global ministry partners. Four priorities right here. Change lives to follow Jesus, healthy and strong families, vibrant community groups, missional living locally and globally. I interviewed this uh, past week, Brent and Liz Tuttle. They're amazing. They uh, have been a part of our church for a long time. And so I asked them about the impact of the church as they have grown kids. A lot of us are in that season of, of growing kids, but, but they encapsulate a lot of different seasons that are represented in this room. Let's roll the video and then Dr. Sean Stover will come up. I'm Brent Tuttle, and this is my wife, Liz Tuttle, and we got connected to Cypress Creek Church in 1998. Brent and I loved it right away, but our kids were like, where have mom and dad brought us? But at this time, they were meeting at Danforth Junior High in the gym. I vividly remember it, the smell. (laughs) But that first day, uh, Josh Ward was a sophomore at Wimberley High School, and he got up and gave his testimony. And he talked about his faith and how he loved Jesus and he loved dirt bikes. Well, our son was gonna be a freshman that year, and uh, Tanner, and he loved dirt bikes too. And I was like, oh Lord, I want them to be friends. I want someone like that for him. 
Well, guess what? They became quick friends and some dirt bike scrapes. And then I was like, Lord, maybe you shouldn't have answered that prayer. Mm-hmm. But they, to this day, they're both almost 40 and they're great friends for each other. So I'm grateful for that. Cypress Creek is such a great place to worship and pray and, mm-hmm. and have relationships with other, with other people and to be to reach out to other people and to make disciples. Mm-hmm. You know, that makes me think our daughter Lauren tells us when she was young, you know, in middle school and certainly in high school, one of the things that impacted her was people that would have the courage to get up and give their testimony at church. She said, I just remember them telling their whole messy story, but then how good God was and how he would redeem them and transform their lives. She said, I still think about those stories. And it gave me the ability to offer myself grace and to see people the way God sees them. So those are the kinds of things your kids are gonna see and how that'll hear and how that'll impact impact them. It helped them in uh, seeing really, I think, what authentic Christianity is like and so uh, we're, I'm so very happy. Cyprus has impacted our family. Like we said, they're all believers. They've been baptized. Their daddy baptized them. And that all happened because we prioritized going to church. And we had four kids. And I know many of you have a lot of children. You're in those years where there's lots going on. But I just want to encourage you to make bringing your children to church a priority. The impact I see now is our kids saw the value in that, and now they're taking their families to church. That really blesses my heart, my mom's heart. We live in such a world that's so chaotic these days, and um, you can just get so distracted with so many things that uh, uh, the world wants to take you away and just lead you off into, it can actually become an idol, you know, and so it's very tempting. I need to remember myself sometimes, even at my age, uh, that uh, family and uh, gathering together with other believers on Sundays is, is not to be taken lightly. In fact, I want to tell a fun story. Our 10-year-old grandson, T.A., came to church with us one week. And um, in Sunday school, there was some discussion. I can't remember what it was now, but he, he went home and talked to his mother about what he learned. And right then and there, discussing with his mother, he accepted Christ and called us and told us. And it was so sweet. So I also want to say thank you to the teachers that work with our children. And I want to encourage you, you don't know the seeds you're planting. They made a difference. They partnered with us in teaching our children. And while it is our responsibility, it's really nice to have someone walk with us in that. And you know, another thing that really strengthened me is um, our church offered offers Christian counseling. Michelle Gooch was a part of the early team in that. And Sean Stover helps now. We've called him several times when we've needed a little help. And um, 
Yeah, it's been really good. Man, the best gift you can give your children is to love their mother. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And women, the best gift you can give your children is to love their daddy. That has always stuck with me. Thanks to this church, we are a family that knows our hope is in God and that he died for our sins and that we are forgiven uh, when we call on his name. And we have eternal life with him now and forevermore. So we're, we're very grateful for that. We're grateful our children know that and know that our grandchildren, we pray for them to know that as well. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Lord, for Liz and Brent and their life, their testimony, 25 years of partnership with the church here. Really cool things that they said throughout the course of that video, the, the power of authenticity and what that meant for their kids to see people sharing their testimony genuinely, uh, the, the importance of gathering together and not forsaking the, the gathering and the coming to church. We know there's lots of distractions, and Brent even described them as idols that, that can get in the way of us showing up on Sunday mornings. But the power of that and, the, and what it does, what it says to our kids is so important. And then uh, there toward the end, talking about, you know, if you need more than just a gathering, to find people to come alongside you uh, with counsel and, and wisdom and prayer uh, to get you through the difficult seasons. So, so many other things you could pull out of those. Thank you, Liz and Brent, for doing that. Thanks for being heroes to Christina and I with how you do, um, yeah, how you do family and how you do life. I, I'm excited about this series that we're in. I, I love history, so I like thinking back over how we got to where we are, 30 years of uh, legacy around four pillars and priorities of, of the church. And then uh, the thought that specifically, which we're talking about each one of those over the course of the, of the last few weeks and weeks to come, and today specifically healthy and strong families. I think this is critical. These four pillars matter. Jose had them listed in, in kind of order there, one, two, three, four. Uh, I honestly see the interplay, and in my mind, they, they play so well together because the reality is they all feed off of each other and they all feed into each other, you know, without without strong, devoted personal lives, we're not gonna have healthy families. And without healthy families, we're not gonna have healthy community groups. And the reality is without those community groups, we're not gonna have healthy families because they sew back into those. And we're not gonna live missionally if we're not strong individually with strong families and community groups that go out there and serve together. So all of those work together and play in and contribute to us having the kind of church that we all enjoy coming and being a part of that's actually an influence in the community and around, and I love the intergenerational aspect of our church. I'm so thankful for Rob and the credit that he gave to the Lord as he started out last week in celebration, but I'm thankful for him and the wisdom that he applied over and over again in the founding of this church and the development of this church, and we're all reaping the benefits from that. I mean, out of those four, I mean, if I got to choose which one I would speak on, it would be this one, healthy and strong families, because I'm just so passionate about what I've given my life to career-wise is trying to figure out how to help people succeed in their families and in their marriages and their relationships, and it just means a lot. Um, I think that you know, my life, uh, my ministry flows through my family first and then out from there. I just believe that's the way God wants me to prioritize it, that I need to love my wife 
and I need to love my kids, and then the overflow of that will hopefully be a witness in the community. I think that's what he meant when he designed marriage, and he said, as Christ loved the church, husbands should love their wives. I think that's how important it is, and, and it, we got it wrong for a long time in our history and in our culture, not here and as a church, but in, in America, where pastors believed that they would put their family to the side and God would take care of them so they could go out and spread the gospel and share the word and travel and evangelize and disciple. And the people that lost in that equation were the, were the wives and the kids that were left behind. And we do that in the business world as well, where we turn our back on our family to go be successful for their sake because we're ultimately going to bless them with all the money and the resources that we bring in, but they're going to miss out on the time and the energy and the investment that we could be making with them along the way. That's not what God wants for you and your families. He wants you to look first into your family and then through your family out to the world that desperately needs to see us succeed in our marriages and in our homes. See, if our lives are to be a reflection of God's love, then it makes sense that marriage gives us a chance to be a reflection of the depth of his love and the permanency, the exclusiveness, the intimacy. That's what we can have in our marriages. And, and I'm Excited to be talking to you about this this morning because I have had a great marriage since Wednesday about six o'clock. <laughs> um, we have been killing it, and we have, man. We've had two, three, was that three and plus days of marital success and high fives and encouragement and closeness. Uh, that comes on the heels of 24 hours of there's no way I should be standing here talking to you guys about relationships. Um, you know, and that's how it works. The enemy wants to rob, kill, and destroy our families. Um, I came home Tuesday after a big day, had work, a lot of work stuff, and good things got checked off. Great opportunities came up. Man, I had somebody from the National FCA office call and say, hey, we want you to lead a marriage retreat for our staff. I was like, all right, that, that could be cool. I got to talk to Christina. Then somebody locally here in town, another church asked if I could come speak on relationships at the thing they had going on. I said, all right, let me check with Christina our calendar. I'll get back to you. And uh, then out of nowhere, this uh, state Baptist convention called me and said, hey, we need somebody to come and speak. One of our speakers fell through on marriage and family. So, all right, let me check. I'll find out all that's going on. I'm kind of getting ready for this message. And it comes to Tuesday night. And uh, I, I come home, uh, there was something that was going on in our house that I was ready and excited to celebrate. Uh, I left for a little bit, and when I came back, everybody had started celebrating without me. And uh, I was disappointed in that at first, and then I went from disappointment to my feelings just flat out being hurt, and then I went from my feelings being hurt to kind of getting a little passive-aggressive and controlling and upset, and then I went from that to kind of saying things that were hurtful and rude to the people around me. And then they started responding back to me in ways that I didn't think were appropriate. So I started defending myself. And uh, so we kept escalating. Then it got down to Christina and I, and we were going at it. And uh, man, you know, I'm telling you all this, and you're like, sometimes you guys just make these stories up for illustrations. I am not. My kids are right there. My 16-year-old, it got to the point where my 16-year-old came from rooms away over and closes the door to the room that Christina and I are in because our, our disagreement had turned to an argument, had turned to a fight, and it escalated to the point that they didn't want to hear it, and they could hear it. And um, it was terrible. It was. The things I, I said, the things I felt, um, man, it, it was miserable to the point that Christina finally was like, I don't want to be with you. 
And, and she left uh, the room and, and went into her, and she didn't come back. And um, so I'm in there, and I don't know what to do at that point. It's, it's awful late, and so I, I can't sleep. Um, you know, uh, of course, then, then it's me and the enemy in the room. I'm not by myself anymore. And uh, he and I are talking about what an idiot I am to think I should go speak at anything on marriages or families. Um, Christina might have hinted at that as well as she was leaving the room. Um, and, uh, and she was right. I, the way I treated her, I had no, no reason to go talk to anybody about stuff like that. And uh, I mean, I'm telling you all that because I think sometimes we stand up here, Rob has for, for years, and said we're an imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. And I think sometimes it may come across as you guys are imperfect people and we're going to help you as pastors get to that perfect God. And that's not at all what he means or how we live our lives. Um, man, I blew it with my wife. I blew it in front of my kids. And um, I was embarrassed of that, ashamed of that. The enemy beat me up all night long. I was just counting the hours until I knew Jose would be awake so that I could text him and tell him I was not going to talk about family this morning. <laughs> I was not qualified, and uh, then, as only schedules can orchestrate, I had a seven o'clock meeting with a group of men to talk about how to be a great dad on Wednesday morning. So uh, I showed up with my little agenda that I was going to teach on, and three minutes into it, we scrapped that, and I just told them what all was going on. I've been with this group of guys for a year and a half. I mean, Byron's over there. Tom's probably around here somewhere. Corey, some really great guys, and, and they just listened, and they cared, and they prayed. And when you get into difficult spots in your family, the first thing I want to make sure and say to you is, I hope you have people around you that you can turn to that will be in your corner. Um, I hope you pray, because God wants to help you in those moments. He wants to fight the enemy off with you. I hope that you're willing to look in the mirror first. Uh, before you accuse. Now, I don't do that. I'll tell you right now that the first part of any disagreement after Christina and I separate, I spend figuring out the things that she blew and did wrong, and I go to God and ask her how he's going to fix her in that. It's just what I do. Um, but eventually, I get to the point where I'm like, all right, what was going on in me? What caused all of that? How could I be different? Lord, help me. So you got to be willing to look in the mirror. And then fourth, you got to have some resources. I mean, I have a book that I'm going through with another group of guys, and, and I had some truth in it that I needed to hear Wednesday um, to help me resolve the conflict. And if that didn't work, I would have needed to call a counselor or a friend in my life. It's hard, you guys. The, the enemy is going to come against you. He wants to see us fail. So the first thing I want to say with regards to healthy and strong families is that I don't know many of them. I don't. I know a lot of vulnerable, authentic, real families trying to make it work. And those are really the best in my mind. I don't know why. Jesus was a perfect man. He was. That, I know why that. That's cool. Jesus didn't get married. I don't know if that's because he couldn't be a perfect husband. <laughs> so he wasn't going to try. Jesus didn't have kids. I don't know if that's because you can't be a perfect father. That's what I like to believe. I guess he would have pulled it off. And then there would have bar, been a bar none of us could reach, and we probably would have all given up. So it's hard, you guys. I, I like Paul on this, in this front, and, and I'm getting to something here that's significant. I'm not just trying to share all this to self-disclose. I'm trying to share it because I'm getting to this point that 
Humility is the key if you want to have a strong, healthy family. You have to humble yourself and realize you don't know it all. You will never have it all together. Don't spend any time trying to make yourself look like something that the outside looks up to. Instead, with humility, be willing to admit that this is difficult. Paul and was, was discipling this guy, Timothy, man, and, and, he, and he just flat out said it this way. Paul just said, look, I'm the worst. At the end of the day, I just got to tell you, I'm the worst of sinners. He said, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am, the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who believe in him and receive eternal life. Out of all the things he could have said there so that Christ could show his immense patience, how often do I need Christ to be patient with me? And if that's true, how often do I need to be patient with the people around me that I'm trying to lead in our family? He says it a different way, slightly different way, Paul, but it's worth in this thought of humility and to lead your family and be a part of a family. It's strong. You have to have humility. In Corinthians, he says it this way. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take away this thorn in my flesh, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Man, you guys, it's hard. Family's hard. Marriage is hard. We're going to fall short. But we just got to own that in humility. And once you do that, it unlocks all of this power for health and healing and God to show up. This uh, book that we're reading with Peter Scazzaro, he wrote The Emotionally Healthy Leader. He says this, mature spiritual leadership, man, in your workplace and as a pastor in the home, is forged in the crucible of difficult conversations, the pressure of conflicted relationships, the pain of setbacks, and the dark nights of the soul. What he's saying is, if you really want to know where growth happens, it happens in difficult conversations, conflicted relationships, the pain of setbacks, and the dark nights of the soul. It does. That's where our dependency on the Lord is the greatest, and that's where our chance for growth and change is the strongest. Under these circumstances, he says, we come to understand the complex nature of our inner world. Moreover, as we develop new practices and rhythms robust enough to withstand the pressures that leadership exerts on our inner life, we naturally become stronger and more effective leaders in our homes, in our churches, in our communities. What do we do when those difficulties come? Well, we got to be able to rest ourselves on a few few truths that are going to guide us as our in our families. Uh, Jose talked about this passage in Matthew about the houses that are built on the rock versus the houses that are built on the sand. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came, streams rose, winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Two things it says in, in verse 24 there on the screen, right? If we want a, our house to be built on the rock, what are the two things that we need to do? It says it up there. Here, good, all right. What's the second thing? Put it in practice, right? You got to hear it and you got to do it. In the same teaching around, uh, in the same summary of this same teaching in Luke, he actually adds one. He says, Jesus said, come to me, 
listen to my teaching, and then he said, follow my commands, so put it into practice. So Jesus, uh, he, Luke just added one, which I think is important. When things go crazy, you need to go to Jesus, understand his teaching, and then thirdly, put it into practice. So how do we do that? If we want to have healthy and strong families, let's just look at a few. We've been trying to apply it uh, in the families that we come alongside for a long time. I'm very grateful, you guys. I look out there, and, and uh, I'm grateful to those of you who have humbled yourselves over the years and, and got help, either through counseling or coming to the married people or through your community groups, um, because it's through that growing together, man, that we have a chance to apply these verses even more. So uh, how do we apply a few verses? Here's one. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keeps the law, happy is he. I think this is an incredibly important verse if you want to have a happy, healthy, strong family. Because in our world today, we're kind of encouraged to be flexible and adaptable all of the time. The problem with that is that it, it weeds out structure and intentionality. And if you don't have intentionality and structure in your marriage and in your family and in your parenting, you are not going to succeed. If you're just hoping that you're just waking up going, I, you know, I hope my kids turn out good today. Man, I hope this is a good year at school for them. Boy, I hope our marriage is better this time next year than it is this year. Hope is not a strategy. Hope is a great little motivational thing, but it is not a strategy. You need to be intentional. If you want your marriage to look different, then you have to say six months from now, what I want to see in our marriage that's different is fill in the blank. More honor, better communication, more fun, more whatever it is. You have to be willing to be intentional. I want our home to be different in six months. I hope it happens. It's not going to happen. The enemy is going to make it. If it is different, it's going to be worse because that's all the enemy wants. But if you're intentional and you say, you know what would make our home better is if six months from now, what I think it could look like is it could be the safest place on earth or it could be A or it could be more, you know, whatever it is. You have to have some vision. You get that vision from spending time from the Lord. Lord, what do you want to see in our marriage and our home and our families in the next six months? And it applies that proverb and it makes all the difference in the world. Our boys have to walk on the staircase up. It kind of curves halfway up. Their bedrooms are all upstairs and they have to walk past this old door. And on that old door are seven words, and those words are our kind of vision for our family. And it says on there, faith, love, simplicity, hospitality, authenticity, wholeheartedness, and adventure. Over the years, years of Christina and I praying, that's what we've heard the Lord say he wants our family to be about. Y'all's words will look different. They should be different. They should be whatever God wants for your family, but you need to have some kind of vision so that when your kids are launched from the nest at whatever age that is, and somebody says, hey, what was your family like? They can say, well, you know what? We had, we had a lot of hospitality there. We had people in and out a lot. We did a lot of adventurous things together. We were wholehearted in whatever it was we did. That's what we hope our kids answer because we're trying to be intentional to get somewhere and not just let the world blow us where it can. Second verse that if you want to hear and apply, put into practice that I think would be really helpful for your family, if you want it to be healthy, is this one. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You're like, wait a minute, that says nothing about family. I'm telling you, that says everything about family, if you want to know the truth. Because if you're part of a family, at some point, you're going to have some fights and quarrels among you. 
We're not going to do a raise your hand. Let's just assume that a lot of y'all would if I said, has anybody ever had a fight or quarrel with anybody in their family? You're like, why in the world are Christina and I fighting the way that we are? It says right there, because there's desires that battle within us. See, whenever something goes on externally, it's usually the result of something internally that's happening. And there's a lot of words, catchphrases, things going on. We were just talking about Jonah Hill with some people that we love yesterday. Jonah Hill's an actor. I don't know if, you've, if you know of him, but he actually has been going through a lot of, of kind of learning and growing in his own personal life, so much so that, it, that he took a counseling session that he had and he put it on, he videoed it all and put it on Netflix or some streaming service because he wanted people to see how impactful counseling can be. And in that, he talked about his shadow. There's a lot of words for this inner world, you know, the, the, the lies, the wounds, the fears, the trauma. Some people use a lot these days. The shadow is something I've heard a couple of, like Jonah Hill used and some of the others. But we've got to be willing to look at what's going on inside us. Because what's going on inside us drives us to cope and behave in ways that hurt the people around us. You know, I don't want to be a controlling, blaming, passive-aggressive person, but that's what I was doing the other night. Other things that we do, alcohol that we turn to, addictions that we go to, anger that gets out of control, social media that is overused, all of that is a result of something that's going on inside of us that we need to identify and deal with so that we don't keep leaking that stuff out on the people around us that mean so much. Part of my day Wednesday and praying and listening and hanging out with people and reading was the realization that what happened to me Tuesday night was some old stuff. Like I have this message from when I was a little bitty guy that says, your emotions don't matter. That was way before I met Christina, but that got etched on my heart. Your emotions don't matter. My mom died. My dad, the old cowboy, he, man, let's suck it up. We're going to get through this. Toughen up, you know. Pull up your bootstraps and let's go. And I learned early on that my emotions don't matter. Christina wasn't trying to push that button inside me. The incident going on Tuesday, my boys, nobody was. But that's what got triggered inside me. And another one in there that says, you know, don't celebrate or get too excited about anything. I've been working hard to try to get more excited about things. But man, that thing is inside me. And it all got triggered. And as a result of it getting triggered, I treated Christina in some ways that I should never have treated her and said things I shouldn't say. We got to be willing to get healthy. I saw somebody say it this way the other day. Uh, somebody said, I would die for my child. And he said, I believe you, but would you live for them? Would you get yourself healthy? Would you eliminate distractions? Would you lead them more intentionally? You'd only have to die once, but you'd have to live every day. You willing to do that? That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work, but it's worth it. If you want to have a strong, healthy family, you need to be the healthiest version of yourself that you can be for the people around you. Third verse that we kind of hang out around in our family and we try to help others apply in their life is this one. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. You've probably heard Christina say, if you've heard us teach before, that we used to want our home to be the funnest home on the block because we wanted everybody to come hang out there. But we learned pretty early on that being the safest home was the best way to attract people. People are attracted to safety. Well, what robs homes of safety? I mean, judgment, criticism, not confronting lovingly things that are going on that need to be addressed, chaos and a lack of structure. Those things can create an unsafe home environment and rob you of having the kind of strong, healthy family that you want to have. Man, 
the uh, Thrashers are out there. We've probably multiplied their community group more than any community group we've ever had. And you know why? It's because they have the safest home you could imagine. They have the safest group. You show up over there, you're accepted. No matter what your age, no matter you know, what your stage of life or what you're going through, and, and that safety in their home. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a fun group, and they laugh a lot, and, then they're, and Mary's crazy, and Mike is calm. But you know what? They are safe. People are drawn to safety. Try to make your home the safest place on earth so that the people in your home and in your family can emotionally go where they need to go and mentally go where they need to go so that you can have this kind of vulnerable, authentic connection there. Fourth thing, again, if we're just trying to find God's word, hear it, and then apply it, then, uh, man, communication has to be a piece of a healthy family. All right, so these verses get a double whammy in the communication category because communication is two things. It's, it's listening and it's speaking. So when it comes to listening, the most important thing you can do to have a strong, healthy family is to spend a lot of time getting understanding. Hey, help me understand what's going on. When somebody's off the rails or somebody's in their coping mechanisms or somebody's doing hurtful things or spinning out of control, the best thing you can do in your family is say, hey, help me understand what's going on and really pursue that understanding with all you have. Because if you can help somebody else make sense of what's going on in their inner world or what's causing them to behave they are, man, you're in a much better spot. And then when you do go to speak, um, Ephesians 4, 29, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs so that it may benefit those who hear it. You need to speak life and encouragement. You have a lot of power to do that as a parent and in a family. Um, so how we listen and how we speak is important. Fifth uh, topic, and I guess this would be the sixth verse, if you want to take God's word and you want to apply it to have a healthy, strong family, is rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. The most important thing I think about family is that it is a togetherness factor. The first crisis in the Bible was when uh, God looked down at Adam and said, it is not good that man is alone. That's a big deal. When God says something's not good, it's a crisis. And the crisis was that man was alone. Now, there are a lot of singles out there and a lot of people call to singleness. They need to find other answers to the aloneness in their life, community groups and friendships and important things like that. If you're in a family, if you're in a marriage or your parents, you have kids, man, part of the solution to that aloneness is family. And we need to be willing to do these things together. If we're honest, most of us in our family see somebody hurting and we try to go cheer them up, right? It doesn't say rejoice with those who mourn. It says mourn with those who mourn. True family means I'm going to come sit with you in the emotion that you're in right now. Or I'm going to come celebrate with you in that. Rejoice and mourn together. That's what families do. So you take those verses and it ends up bringing you to five points. There they are on the screen. So I think if you just want some simple, applicable things to go home with today to have a, a healthy family, I would say those are five things. And you can look at that list and say, what's one or two of those that maybe I could apply even this month so that 30 days from now our family looks different than it does today? Because taking God's, going to Jesus, taking his word and applying it will make it look different. It just will. Because it works. It doesn't return void. And you guys, if we have healthy families, then we have healthy community. If we have a healthy community, all of a sudden we have a healthy state, healthy states make healthy nations. It just goes out. 
If you look out at our country and you're worried about things that are going on and you're trying to figure out how to fix them, more power to you and some people are called to that. But if you want to make a change that I know will guarantee results, look inside your family and apply something up here on the screen from God's word. We'll wrap up, put a, put a verse up here. Ecclesiastes is an entering book in the Bible. Solomon wrote it later in his life. Proverbs he wrote earlier, uh, Ecclesiastes later. He's kind of looking back on life when he says this. And he says, so I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun to eat and drink and be glad then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of their life God has given them under the sun. You guys, it may feel a little heavy, the message today. I was trying to be authentic with you because man, I do believe that humility is the key to applying those verses that are up there. Um, but I also want to say, you need to have fun. Man, family can be the most fun thing in the world. Laugh together. Find ways to celebrate and enjoy what God has blessed you with, with the people closest to you. As a church, I'm thankful to be a part of this congregation. I am, because there are so many things that are already in place to try to help you succeed in your family. We talked about the Marriage Monthly, the Married People, that's specifically for marriage, but there's also, uh, man, community groups that we would love for you to be a part of. They talk about parenting topics and support all the way down. I mean, the kids, the crosstalk, the student ministry, all of that is investing in young people to help them to become healthy singles, to ultimately good newlyweds, to you know, young families, to mature families, all the way up to empty nesters and, and beyond to widows. We want to be there for the relationships and the people in our congregation, and there's lots of ways for that to happen. So, hey, let's do this together. If you need to go deeper yourself, really don't hesitate to call. We have counselors you know, we're starting to grow a network of counselors inside the church that are trustworthy. Um, we don't want you to go at this alone. We want to help you succeed in your families. If you're married, show up in a few weeks to the married people, and uh, let's do this together. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for the chance to talk about something that I know is near and dear to your heart as we have these Lego pieces and we think about building blocks and building. Lord, there's no uh, man, more important thing I can think of than we have healthy personal lives that lead to the building.